I want to talk to you this morning about God's system, because he has a system. He has a system of promotion. And you know, the thing about him, about God, is that he wants to bring promotion into each of our lives. Uh, and it's, it's based on the new covenant that we have in him. That our promotion isn't so much based upon just simply our actions, but it's our, our trust, our confidence, looking to him, relying upon him. And, um, and so God wants to bring promotion into our life, but he wants to bring it supernaturally. And when we allow him to do things, you know, I think, um, you know, with the very fact that uh, my grandson Isaac is going to be uh, replacing me here in a couple of months. You know, <clears throat> I don't know if you realize that or not, but that's supernatural. Uh, if you grew up knowing Isaac, you would know that that was supernatural. <laughs> but it's supernatural. But you know, in the same way, God wants to work in each of our lives. He wants to take us places where the world say that it's absolutely impossible. Now that's not to say that we don't put in the effort, that we don't um, apply ourselves because we do. You know, I, I see McKinley sitting back there and uh, McKinley is having great success with wrestling. And you know, it's, it's his effort. But I also believe because he's a child of God, there's supernatural intervention in, involved as well and giving him wisdom how to deal with things and so forth. And so God wants to promote us. He wants to bring us to that place. You know, as, as Christians, you know, I think about how God wants us in the forefront. You know, in the pro there's a problem with the forefront. In the forefront, what happens is you live in glass houses. That means that everybody's watching, everybody's looking at you. But God wants that for a purpose. Because how else is his kingdom going to be furthered unless it's furthered through you and me? And so, yes, we live in glass houses. Yes, people examine us, people look at us, and people judge us. And sometimes we look at it and we think, you know what? It's just not fair. Well, let me tell you something. You can study the Bible from cover to cover and you won't find any place where it talks about being fair. Thank you for that rousing amen. But it's the truth. Was it fair that Joseph was sold into slavery? No, it wasn't. Was it was it fair that Meshach and Abednego, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace? No, that wasn't fair. But let me tell you something. It wasn't fair that Jesus, the one perfect man that ever lived, hung on a cross, died in a brutal way for you and I. Why? How, how's that fair? And then we get to enter into it. And we get to receive eternal life because of his sacrifice. Doesn't seem very fair to me. And sometimes we look at our own lives and we think it's not fair. Well, like I said, there's no promise of fairness. But there's a promise of promotion. And what that promotion means is that, that in, in situations where it seems dire, 
where it seems like we have no way out, where there is no hope, God will supernaturally intervene. And as a result of that, we'll be able to bring glory to his name. God is looking for ways to promote us. I believe that with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. He's looking for ways to promote us. And it isn't because we're, 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 we're standing in the pulpit or whatever. We're all his children. And he wants to promote us. But you know what? We, our part is to believe. And how do we believe unless we've got the word of God on the inside of us, unless we have confidence and we trust in him? And when we do that, supernaturally, he, he comes along and he promotes it. You know, we, we looked at the video of Larry and Jean Johnson this morning. Most of you don't know from whence they came. Larry was a farmer that basically lost his farm. And as a result of that, he bought a can business. You know, redemption, cans. Real glorious position. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but that's, that was, she was a nurse. And God moved in their hearts about missions and they began to go to, on mission trips. And as they're on the mission trips, God moved in their heart in a mightier way. They went down to, you know, they're, they're getting up there in years. And they go to Victory Bible School in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So everything they have, uproot any, everything, go there. And, and I think the first place they went was Afghanistan or something like that. And then they ended up in China. And I'm not going to go into it, but they ended up in China. And then they <clears throat> kept the ministry going in China. They still have impact there, but they moved to Canada. Started to do work in Canada. And as they're doing work in Canada, they moved east further in Canada and started to minister into Detroit. Now they're in two or three countries in Africa and they're, they're, they're Cuba, as we saw this morning. This, nobody, that nobody knows is doing amazing things for God. And most people look at it and they scratch their head and they say, how can this be? It's because of God. God promoted them. And let me tell you something, God wants to promote you. You know what they did? They were faithful. You know what we need to do to be promoted? We need to be faithful. We need to be true to the word of God. We need to simply be a man, a woman of faith, and God is the one that promotes us because he, he wants to. He's not holding anything back from us. But oftentimes what we're not doing is we're not cooperating with him. Well, he wants to do something in our life, but we refuse to cooperate. Why? Because we want to do our own thing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You see, I can preach this way now because I'm on my way out. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. But he wants to promote us. In 1 Corinthians 2, 9 it says, But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, 
neither have entered the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Do you hear that? I hasn't seen it. You haven't seen it yet. You haven't heard it yet. What God wants to do in your life and the only prerequisite is that we love him. We love him, amen? amen? And so because we love him, he wants to bring promotion into our life that we haven't seen, that we haven't hear, heard. We can't even probably identify with it. I mean, just think of it. I've, I've stood in this pulpit for 37 and a half years. 39 and a half years I've been in the ministry. And I'm dumb as dirt. I'm not smart enough. I'm not intelligent enough. I'm not any of those things enough to be in this position. You know, what's really sad about that was when I said I was dumb as dirt, nobody laughed. Everybody's sitting there thinking, well, we've known that past for 37 and a half years. Oh, inside, yeah, 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 that means a lot when you disagree inside. It's a really bad confession. It is. But, you know, truth is truth. But see, this is a point that I wanted to bring about. It wasn't because of my great ability. It was because God chose to promote me. And God wants to promote each and every one of us in this room. Maybe in your job, maybe in, you know, what, whatever. He wants to do it if we will simply give place to him and cooperate with him. 1 Corinthians 9.10 Or does he say it all together for our sake? For our sakes, no doubt this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope. What's he talking about? He's saying whatever you're doing, you ought to be doing it in hope. In hope in what, of what? In hope of increase. The things get better, not worse. But you know what? Oftentimes our hope is stolen from us. And the reason that our hope is stolen from us is we look at everything around us. We look at the circumstances. We, we listen to what the news says and immediately we take a hold of it, hook, line, and sinker, and we believe it. And what does it do? It steals our hope. You know, the greatest need that we have in the world today isn't faith. The greatest need that we have in the world today is hope. Because faith has to have something to bring substance to. And because we have a society, because we have a world that has no hope, they can talk about faith, but they don't have anything to put faith in. What do we put faith in? We put faith in the Word of God because Jesus has already done it. Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You know, one of the songs that we sang this morning, it, you know, uh, Pastor Becky changed the words in it. 
Because the original of the song says that our life is built on the foundation of love. Well, God is love, so it's accurate. But you know, ultimately, our lives are built on the foundation of faith, which comes through the Word of God. And so our lives are built upon the foundation of the Word of God. And so if we don't have the Word of God in our life, you know, one of the prerequisites of the elders when they began to search for a, a, a pastor to replace me, the number one prerequisite was, will they be preaching the Word of God? Are they going to truly preach the Word or is it going to be some social gospel? Because let me tell you something, that social gospel will not set you free. It may make you feel good in your emotions, but it'll only lead to deeper and deeper bondage in your life. But when your life is built upon the Word of God, you're going to experience the freedom that can come in no other way. That he who plows should plow in hope. You know what? If, 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 if you do, we need to have a conversation. But I don't think any of the farmers in this room, in the spring of the year when they go out and, and they begin to plow, I don't think they're thinking, well, this isn't going to do any good because we're not going to get a harvest this year. No, they're plowing in hope. They're believing that it's going to produce a bountiful harvest. And that it's not just going to be a 20, 30, it's going to be a hundredfold return upon that harvest. That's the hope that they have. Amen. And that hope doesn't disappoint them because they put that hope in their trust and confidence in God. But you know what? That's how it needs to be in each of our lives. Whatever we're doing, we ought to have hope in the midst of it. Knowing that God is going to bring to us tremendous increase. That he who plows should plow in hope. And he who threshes in hope should be <clears throat> partaker of his hope. In other words, he's going to experience the hope when the harvest comes. He's going to experience the fulfillment of it. I don't want to believe for just making it by. I want to believe for increase. I want to believe for abundance. I want to believe for influence. That when people look at my life and they see my life, they can say, I can, I can glean something. I can, I can gain something from knowing that individual, from being in contact with that individual. But that's how it ought to be in each of our lives to believe that. God gives promotion above and beyond the world's natural level of promotion. Most of us settle for what we can do in our own strength. Rather than having a hope in God that there's going to be a promotion, we just settle for our own ability. But God wants to take us beyond that. He wants to take us where we could have never imagined going. The dictionary defines definition of promotion is the act of being raised up in position or rank to ascend, advance, or upgrade. That's where God wants to take us. In the Hebrew Bible, the definition is to lift up, elevate, rise up, or exalt. This blows our mind. God wants to exalt you. 
We talk about exalting God. But you know, do you realize that ultimately God wants to exalt you? Well, Pastor, I don't know about that. He says, humble yourself and I will exalt you. If we will humble ourselves and recognize who God is and what he wants to do in ourselves and humble ourselves before him and say, here I am, Lord. I am your vessel in whatever area you want to use me. This is my field right now. And so, Father, exalt me. Promote me. Bring me to a place where I can have influence in the lives of others. Because, you know, if we lose that, what, what's the point? If we have no influence in the lives of others, what's the point of being here? We might as well go home and be with Jesus. It's going to be a whole lot better. But you know what? Each and every one of us, we are here for a reason. We are here for a purpose. God has placed us in the position that we in, we're in so he can promote us, so that we can have impact, so that we can have influence in the lives of others. Abundant Life Ministries isn't here just to fill up space at 1308 West Lincoln Way. Abundant Life Ministries is here for a purpose, is to have influence upon the, the community that we live in. And not only do we have the opportunity to have influence in the community that we live in as part of Abundant Life Ministries, we have a, the opportunity to have influence in the world that we live in. Yes. You know, after John Smithwick was here this past week, I got a, I got a thank you from him. And uh, remember, he's... Uh, <clears throat> the missionary, the evangelist that we had in here, what, three, four weeks ago? And, uh, you know, we just had a wonderful time with him. And, um, you know, he, he thanked uh, Pastor Becky and I for the, the time of fellowship that we were able to have with one another and thanked me for allowing him to minister in the church. And then he had a P.S. And at the end of it, he says, it just always amazes me that a church your size can have so much influence in the world and make such a financial difference. That's what he had to say to y'all. Thank you for making a difference. And so we do. We sit here in the middle of the cornfields and we think we don't have any influence in the world, but we do. Because Jesus has promoted this body so that we're in that position to be able to do that. You know, there's laws that are in motion that, that influence how people are promoted and so forth. But you know what? God is greater than those things. He wants to bring about change in each of our lives if we'll but simply cooperate with him. In Ephesians 3.20 it says, Now to him who is able. And the him is capitalized. So it's talking about God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that's working in us. He works through the power working in us. But notice it says he's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. 
I don't know about you, I can think really big. I have high expectations. But you know what? He says, God will take us above all that. Beyond that. Above what we could ever ask or think. You know, there was a member of this church years back that his goal in life was to be able to take a vacation to Minnesota. Now I can understand why somebody would want to go to Minnesota. <laughs> but for that to be your number one goal in life? <laughs> well, this individual, as far as I can remember, ended up going to at least four, if not five or six different countries. God took him above and beyond what he could ever think, dream. It's another translation, imagine. And that's what God wants to do in each of our lives. We, we limit ourselves. We, we think, I can only go so far. But you know what? God will take you so much further than what you could ever, ever imagine. He wants to promote you to that. That same verse, Ephesians 3.20 in the, in the Message Bible, it says, God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us. He wants to do stuff in your life that you just can't ever, that you can't imagine. You know, I was just a poor old farm boy growing up in southern Minnesota. The only thing I wanted out of high school was me, and that's just about all I got out of high school was me. But you know what? I've preached on five different continents. I've preached in 28 different nations. I'm not bragging on me. I'm bragging on Jesus because I would have said that is an absolute impossibility. That will never, that could never happen. But it did. I'm still amazed at it. But you know what? I'm not unique. I'm simply a child of God. Do you know what you are? You are simply a child of God whom he wants to promote. Just think about your own children for a moment. I don't know about you. I want my children to have more than I could have ever imagined. I want them to succeed in areas I could have never entered in or dreamed, imagined going into. And you know what? As a parent, compared to Father God, I'm a zero. He wants so much more for us and through us. You know, in Genesis, the 12th chapter, hallelujah. I feel like I'm yelling more today. I guess I want my voice to continue to shake the walls. 
Genesis 12, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. He didn't even have a kid. And he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. Notice what he did. He says, I'm going to make you. There's things he wants to do, and he wants to make you. <clears throat> I don't know if you realize this or not, but people are constantly asking Jesus to do things. Jesus is seated at the right hand of Father God on high. Do you know why he's seated? Because he finished his work. Jesus has done what Jesus is going to do. And now what he's done is he's filled you and me with his precious Holy Spirit. He lives on the inside of us. And that's why he wants to take that which is in you and use it for his glory to accomplish what he wants to accomplish here on earth. I will make you a great nation. God wants to make each and every one of us a great nation. That's not saying we're going to have a land and we're going to settle it and so forth, but there's things that he wants to do in each and every one of our lives if we will but allow him. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. Oh, I love this. You shall be a blessing. Each and every one of us, he wants to make us a blessing. I will bless those that bless you and I will curse those that curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, part of that, of course, is unique to Abraham, to Abram at this point. But he wants to move through each of us. He wants to bring greatness. There's there's greatness on the inside of you. Don't look at me with that tone of voice. I know that it's true. There's greatness on the inside of you. And God wants to bring that greatness out to further his kingdom so that he might be exalted. You know, it's interesting. In order to be a blessing, you have to be blessed. You know, I can't give you something I don't have. If I do, I'm a thief. God wants to bless you so that you can be a blessing. And the only way that he can do that is by imparting that, giving it, putting it in you. God is well able to turn things around. Promotion on any level comes only from him. He wants to bring that promotion. Psalm 75, verse 5 through 7, it says, Lift up your horn on high. Speak not with a stiff neck. For promotion comes neither by the east or by the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. 
He puts down one and he sets up another. God's got you set up. Got you set up for promotion. He wants you to walk in victory. He's in the north. He just wants to bring that blessing upon you. Psalms 40 verse 2 it says, He brought me up also out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. He wants to establish you. He wants to lift you up. He wants to promote you. But you know what? He's going to do it supernaturally. It says he pulls you up out of the pit. Well, you know what? If he's got to pull us out of the pit, that means we've fallen into one. And he wants to pull us out of the pit. He wants to elevate us. He wants to bring us to that point where we can have that influence on others. The miry clay is the uncertainty and the un unstable situations we face in our life. He wants to get us our view off of that. And it says what he wants to do, he wants to, he wants to establish us. He wants to set us on the rock. And of course, we know that the rock is Jesus. And when we're on Jesus, we're established for good. You know, we have examples in the Bible of individuals that it looked like the end of the line for them. It looked like there was absolutely no hope. And let's look at Genesis, the 39th chapter. And in, in Genesis, the 39th chapter, we, we find Joseph. And you know, <clears throat> Joseph had favor with his father. And so his, his father promoted him, and, and as a result of that, everybody around him hated him. You know, remember he had the coat of many colors? And that wasn't just something to keep him warm when it was cold outside. That was to demonstrate to everybody that he was, he was, the, he was the favorite son of his father. But you know, oftentimes what happens in the natural... If we think that we've done it, all of a sudden, we get prideful. <coughs> Remember Joseph, he had these visions, these dreams. What did he do? He shared the dreams, he shared the visions with his, his father and with his brothers. And in one of the dreams, his brothers were all going to bow down to him. I have one brother. And uh, I love my brother. But I ain't about to bow down to him. You understand what I'm saying? You know, there, there, there's a certain attitude that, that, that raises up. And he, he, didn't have enough, he didn't have enough sense to keep his mouth shut. Then he had another dream. And both his mom and his dad and his brothers, they all bowed down to him. Now, now the dream was accurate. But you know, when you think that your promotion comes as a result of your actions, rather than God's blessing in your life, 
All at once, you start to think you've done something. <laughs> you, you, you begin to think you're, you're pretty hot stuff. But see, what you don't realize is you are what you are because of Jesus in your life. And you know, all our arrogance, all of our pride, all that it does is hinder God from accomplishing what he wants to accomplish in our life. That's why he says if we'll humble ourselves, he'll exalt us in due season, in due time. And so that's what he wants to do. And so here's, here's Joseph. And you know, Joseph, he was the most least likely of all the brothers to be successful in life. But yet God chose him. And so in, in Exodus, the 39th chapter, did I say, I don't mean Exodus, I mean Genesis. Genesis, the 39th chapter, that's why the book was so stinking short. It was the wrong one. In Genesis 39, verse 1, it says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Remember, his brothers hated him so much when they came to he came to check up on him. They threw him into a, 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 a pit. And some of them had determined that they were going to kill him. But instead what they did, they ended up selling him to some Ishmaelites that were coming through there. And so now he's down in Egypt. And Potiphar, an official of Pharaoh, captain of the guard of Egypt, brought him from the Ishmaelites and had taken him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph. Hallelujah. The Lord was with Joseph. And he was a successful man. And he was in the house of the master, uh, of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw, his master saw something. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did prosper in his hands. And so, you know, we know what happened to Joseph. He was put in uh, authority of Potiphar's house. He's in charge of everything. Uh, uh, God had promoted him. Now, just because he is promoted doesn't mean that the enemy doesn't want to bring you down. And so Potiphar's wife, what'd she do? She lied about him. She wanted him to lay with her and he refused to do so. And so she cried rape. And so he got, uh, got arrested, got thrown in prison. So here he is, he's in prison. And he finds favor in prison. He, he, he's promoted to the position second in command to the warden. He interprets a couple of dreams. One of them was the cupbearer of the king, of the pharaoh. He said, remember me when you get out. He forgot about him. But later on, pharaoh had some dreams. And nobody could interpret them. And so he remembered Joseph. And so they brought Joseph out. And Joseph interpreted the dreams that there were going to be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. And he said, you need to put somebody in charge to save up for those that time of famine. And Pharaoh says, it appears to me that God's with you. This is Schroeder's paraphrase. And who better would it be to make the plans? So Joseph, whom his sons sold into slavery, 
whose master threw him into prison, who while in prison interpreted a dream, was placed in second in command in Egypt. The only one over him was Pharaoh. Now, if you would have presented that to somebody, they would have said, that is an absolute impossibility. But you know what? When God promotes you, he opens the door that no man can shut. And he shuts the doors that no man can open. And so we put our trust in him. You know, we have a guy by the name of Daniel. Daniel was basically a nobody. But it says in Daniel 3, I'm going to skip around here. I'm going to begin, or Daniel 6, beginning in verse 3. It says, Then this Daniel, Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and the satraps because an excellent spirit was within him. <clears throat> you know what? You got the Holy Ghost. That means you have an excellent spirit. That means the same spirit that was in Daniel is the spirit that's in you. Now what does that mean? That means we need to develop that spirit or allow that spirit to develop us. But it's on the inside of you. And it's important for us to begin to recognize that. Because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to set in him over the whole realm. So the king sees it. Do you realize that Daniel didn't have to tell anybody he had an excellent spirit? You know, I found when somebody's continually telling you how great they are, <laughs> look out. Because if they're there that great, everybody's going to see it. Mm -hmm. It's the truth. And so, all, and then we drop down to the seventh verse. You see, what, what happens when you get that promotion, when you begin to have success in your life, you'd think everybody would be happy for you. But they're not. Especially the ones that are your competitors. Because you have an advantage. They don't know what that advantage is. And they hate whatever that advantage is. And as a result of that, they hate you. You know, the Bible says that as believers, because we live a life of love, walking in humility, we can rejoice with those that rejoice, and we can weep with those that weep. You know, if we don't have that, what happens is somebody gets a new car, and it makes us mad. Why do they get the new car? Their car wasn't that old to begin with. I'm the one, I'm, I'm, I'm the one that needs a new car. Just don't understand it, just isn't fair. Well, no, it isn't fair. Nothing in the Bible says it's fair. Maybe you need to do what they did. You know, Dr. <laughs> Kenneth Copeland always made this statement because people would accuse him of having all the breaks because he had such great faith. So God gave you that great faith and, and it, it, just, it just isn't fair. And he said, but 
Each of us, according to Romans 12, 3, each of us were given the measure of faith. And he said, the difference between me and you is I decided to do something with my faith. If you're born again, you have faith. You may not feel like you have faith, but you have faith. Now it's time for us to begin to do something with our faith. What do we do with our faith? Well, Romans 10, 17 says faith comes by hearing. By, we grow in faith by giving place to the Word of God because that Word begins to dominate our lives. Jude 20 tells us, praying in the Holy Ghost, building ourselves up in our most holy faith. Why are tongues so important? Because when we pray in the Holy Ghost, when we pray in the Spirit, we're building ourselves up. Well, you know, when I pray in tongues, it scares everybody. Well, then pray in tongues by yourself. Because it isn't for everybody else. It's for you to build you up in your most holy faith. Why do we need to be built up in faith? There's one thing that I know for certain. The attack is going to come. You experience success in your life. You experience promotion in your life. Attack is going to come your way. Destruction is going to try to overtake you. But because you know who you are in Christ Jesus, you rise up above it. Listen to this. Verse 7, still talking about Daniel. And how the king saw that he had an excellent spirit and was considering, promoted him, you know, over all the kingdoms, over the whole realm. And all the governors of the kingdom, and the administrators and satraps, the, the counselors, the advisors, have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. So they're setting up a trap because they know Daniel. Verse 9. Therefore King Darius signed the written decree. Oh, well, you feel that way about me? Well, sure, I'll sign that. Because surely everybody wants to bow down and worship me. Didn't think much of himself, did he? Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. He didn't start something new that day. He did what he had always done. What he had always done is three times a day, he gave his God his proper place. And he didn't care what the others thought. He was continue, gonna continue to be faithful and true to his God. Now this decree has been put out there. They're spying on them. So they come to the king and they say, Oh, king, oh, king, we just adore you and we love you so much. 
and we just want the best for you. But there's this Daniel, and Daniel worshiped another god besides you. And it says that the king, he wanted to change it, but he couldn't because he had signed it. And so then we jump ahead. And we go to verse 16. And it says, So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel, and they cast him into the, lion, uh, into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God. Now this is a king who didn't want to throw him into the den of lions, but because he had made that commitment, he had to. Otherwise, he had lost all of his respect, his integrity with everybody else. So he says, he throws him into the lion, and he says, your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. And of course, we know the story. He's thrown into the lion's den, he slept with them that night. The next morning, the king goes out. He can't sleep all night. Comes and says, Daniel, Daniel, has your God saved you? Daniel's response is, long live the king. Obviously, he has. And so what did the king do? He brought him up out of the den, threw the others in. Before they hit the bottom of the the den, they were leaping on him. God had closed the mouths of lions. Sometimes you may feel like you're in the lion's den and there is absolutely no hope. There is no way out. But I'm here to tell you this morning, you have a deliverer in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's one last story. This is in the New Testament. Jesus is traveling and he comes to a well and Stops there and he sends his disciples on to get some food or whatever. But Jesus stays there at the well and there's this woman that comes along. And Jesus asks her for a drink. And she's shocked because she's a Gentile. She's a Samaritan. And Jews don't talk to Samaritans. And Jesus asks her for a drink. And anyway, Jesus talks with her a little bit and says, I, you know, go, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you answer this well. For you to have not one husband, but you've had, what is it, seven, nine? She had a brood. And says, the one you're living with now isn't even your husband. She says, I perceive you're a prophet. But she encountered Jesus. And because of that encounter, she went home. And listen to this. In John 4, 28 through 30, it says, Though a woman left her water pot and went away into the city and saith to the men. Everybody say, to the men. <laughs> and this isn't, you know, a lot of times when the Bible is trying to bring a point you know, like when we're, it talks about us being sons of God, there's no gender implied. It's male and female sons of God. It's not talking about male or female. It's talking about being a son of God. 
Here where it says men, there's gender implied. And she went back to the city and she talked to the men. And she, <clears throat> and she come see a man, which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. You know, we just read that and we think, oh, isn't that nice? But do you realize this woman was an outcast of society? This woman went to the well at the time of day when nobody else went to the well, probably in the heat of day. Why? Because she didn't want to encounter anybody. Well, why wouldn't she want to encounter anybody? Because she would have had to deal with the looks. She would have had to deal with the sneers. She would have had to deal with the whispers under their breath. Well, look out for her. You know, she'll get her, your husband if you're not careful. That's who she was. And so it happens in her life. I mean, there's a, there's a whole culture change that takes place here. Number one, Jesus talks to a Samaritan, a Jew to a Samaritan. And she's not a respectable Samaritan. And the Samaritan goes back to the city and she talks to the men. And women, they don't talk to men. They don't confront men. You know, we, we see in the Bible where it says women should not teach men. That goes back to this time frame. That's where this all comes from. And so here she is, a Samaritan, a woman, and she speaks and she gets results. Why? Because she had favor. Because God promoted her. Because she had an encounter with Jesus. Let me tell you something. When you encounter Jesus, things change in your life. And you don't even know why things change, but things change in your life because Jesus is a God of change. And he wants to change some things in our life. And all we have to do is simply cooperate with him, acknowledge him, recognize him. And he wants to do it. Ephesians 2, 6, it says, And raise us up and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's not talking about someday. That's talking about now. You are positionally seated with Christ in heavenly places right now. And the significance of that is when we recognize that, we walk in the authority that belongs to Jesus right now. That means when sickness comes your way, you rebuke it in the name of Jesus because you've been given a power. You've been given authority to do so. Ephesians 1, 20 and 22 through 22, it says, Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his, high, <clears throat> at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet. And he gave him his head over all things, to the church that's you and me. When I was in Egypt, we were going through um, the Cairo Museum. We came upon the thrones of the pharaohs. 
the individual that was showing us around, he says, look at, look at that footstool. He says, what do you, what do you see? And well, there, there's a bunch of, what do you call it, hieroglyphics? You know, a bunch of weird figurines on there. And, and they say, you, he said, you know what that is? And he says, well, no. He says, every one of those represents an enemy that the Pharaoh conquered. And what that means is every time he sits down on his throne and he puts his feet up on his footstool, the enemy are under his feet. You need to recognize the enemy is under your feet. When sickness comes against you, it's under your feet. When lack comes against you, it's under your feet. Whatever it may be that goes contrary to the will of God in your life, it's under your feet. But we oftentimes, we look at it and we just see it as this huge struggle. And it is a struggle. But we need to recognize that Jesus has already won the victory. He's purchased it for you and I. And the enemy is under our feet. Ephesians 1, 20 and 22 out of the Amplified, it says... Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named. Above every title that can be conferred. Not only in this age but in this, and in this world, but also in the age and the world which are to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has appointed him the universal supreme head of the church. A headship existing throughout the church. That's what we have in Christ Jesus. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that God wants to take you where you've not been before. He wants to elevate you. He wants your dreams to be expanded. He wants to see you to see further than you've ever seen before. He wants you to recognize I can do all things through Christ as he strengthens me. Let me close with two last passages. The first comes out of Proverbs 25, verses 6 and 7 out of the Message Bible. And it says, Don't work yourself into the spotlight. Don't push your way into the place of pro prominence. It's better to be promoted to a place of honor than face humiliation by being demoted. You know, in the context of this talking about when you go into a place, don't sit in the place of honor. Take the low place and allow them to exalt you. Allow them to bring you up. It's what we do with God. Allow him to be the one that honors you, that promotes you, that takes you to that place. And then finally in 2 Peter 5, 6 and 7, and again in the message it says, So be content with who you are. And don't put on airs. God's strong hand is on you. He'll promote you at the right time. Live carefree before God. He is most careful with you.
I, I really like that last part. He's careful with you. What does that mean? That means we can be carefree. That means we can trust him no matter what the circumstances are around us. It means that we can have some expectations that even though situations may appear to be impossible right now, my God is bigger. He's bigger than any situation. So I put my confidence in him. I trust him. Let's trust him. Allow him to bring promotion into our lives. And so, Father, we thank you for this time that we could share together. We thank you that you are a God of promotion. You want for us more than we want for ourselves. And so we just simply position ourselves. We, we allow ourselves to be in that place where we can grow and learn and apply the truths that you've given us knowing that you, you are the one that caused the increase. And so, Father, we want increase. We want promotion because we want influence. We want influence for your kingdom. And we want promotion for your good. And so we ask, Father, in the glorious name of Jesus, amen. And so as you go, go in his peace, his strength, his love. Go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May he grant you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Give somebody a hug. Let them know you love them.